welcome to the Age of Plastic podcast. I'm Andrea Fox and you're clearly interested in the environment, which is good because this is an environmental podcast. It is where I chat to experts, we try and cut through some of the overwhelm about climate change and we get rid of our single-use plastic guilt. Because I don't know about you, but I'm feeling guilty. Coming up on today's episode, I have got an environmental hack for you, and it's about the thing that's probably in your hand or pocket right now. Like, right now. Plus, our guest on this episode, very excited to be chatting to Plastic Patrol founder Lizzie Carr. And we've even got a giveaway, guys. This is almost like a proper radio show today. I'm so chuffed. First up, though, as always, we start off with a little bit of environmental news. I feel like we've been talking about supermarkets on the past few episodes and unfortunately, no, that's not about to change right now. Waitrose, they have joined all of the other supermarkets, frankly, in deciding that they're going to do something about this plastic pollution. What are they doing, I hear you ask? Well, they're setting up one refill aisle in one store in Oxford. Now, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I've been to Oxford. It's quite posh. They absolutely love a farmer's market, and I'm pretty sure they already have some refill stalls. So, is this Waitrose putting a refill store somewhere where they know it's definitely going to work so they can roll it out everywhere? I mean, that would be pretty good. Anyway, it's kind of what we want them to be doing, so I don't necessarily want to bash them too much. Sainsbury's as well have finally joined the fold... Come along, Sainsbury's. Nice to have you on board. They've joined Tesco's and more recently, of course, Morrison's in banning plastic bags for their fruit and veg. They're doing quite a few other things as well, like trying to eradicate black plastic trays, film on fruit and veg, polystyrene trays, all this kind of thing. And frankly, they need to because apparently their plastic footprint is 120,000 tonnes. I always struggle with numbers, but I'm pretty sure that's a lot of zeros. Now, I was talking to previous guest Lynn Lambourne about this when we were at an event earlier on this week and I I kind of see it as a slightly cynical <laughs> thing from the supermarkets. But frankly, isn't this what we want them to do? They're only doing it because people like today's guest Lizzie Carr and so many people we've had on the podcast have been putting pressure on them. So when they finally do do something about it, surely we've got to commend them, even if it's baby steps, because it's all going in the right direction. Am I right? Am I right? I think I'm right. Now, that event I was at with Lynn Lamborn this week, oh, I felt so posh. We went to the Royal Geographical Society in West London, which I still think of as very posh. Um, It was a Save the Oceans event hosted by the How To Academy, It was one of their how-to conferences. Oh my gosh, they had some amazing guest speakers. I'm just going to bring up my notes because I posted a massive long Instagram post about this on the Age of Plastic. So Sylvia Earle was there talking about Mission Blue. Orla Doherty, who was behind like Blue Planet. You will have seen her if you ever watched the making of. Uh, Dr John Copley, loads of marine biologists, Professor Callum Roberts. Uh, Kerry-Ann Payne, who's an Olympic swimmer. Uh, Solo rower Ros Savage. Um, Inti Groenberg, who's coming up with cutting-edge technologies to clean up plastic pollution. Uh, Dr Helen Scales as well, who played this amazing video of like how shells are made and very hypnotic um and professor alex rogers all of these people basically have a great love and understanding of the sea and i was sitting there thinking 
God, I wish I was a marine biologist. And at the same time thinking, God, I would be a terrible marine biologist. But the kind of takeaway from the event was the oceans can recover. We know what to do. People can change. We can change. The ocean is so important. It's sucking up so much CO2 that it's getting warmer. But thank God it is because... Otherwise, we'd be absolutely screwed by now. Um, If you want to read more, there were some really inspiring quotes from the evening. um, And I have shared them on the Age of Plastic podcast Instagram. So I'll link to that in the show notes. On to today's guest, who, frankly, every single other guest I've had on the podcast has mentioned as being an inspiration. Lizzie Carr, you might know her as Lizzie Outside or have seen her Plastic Patrol campaign online as well or even taken part she had quite a scary diagnosis which led her to stand up paddle boarding which led her to seeing lots of plastic pollution in our waterways and instead of just going back to her normal job and carrying on with her life she decided to do something about it she's incredibly inspirational so excited to have her on there's so many things you can list after her name right she's an author she's an adventurer she's an environmentalist And uh, they've got big, big plans with Plastic Patrol this year to try and log a million pieces and you could definitely be helping with it. Stay tuned, I'll tell you more about that and how it could win you one of her books, Paddling Britain, after my chat with Lizzie Carr, which we had out in the wilderness before I jumped with her on a paddleboard. I'm sitting by the River Lee and I'm very excited to be joined by adventurer, environmentalist, founder of Plastic Patrol and author of Paddling Britain, Lizzie Carr. Hello. Hello, thank you for joining me. This is the nicest interview spot so far on the Age of Plastic podcast. I think it's the nicest one I've done as well. Oh, excellent. It's lovely, isn't it? It's a nice day for it. Yeah, definitely. We've had a really sunny week. It's actually not too bright. Um, you might hear some tannoy noises in the background as well as tweeting birds because we're down by the River Lee and they are setting up for the Hackney Half Marathon. <laughs> um, but we're going to crack on and just let them do their thing in the background. <laughs> um, so we're going to be talking about plastic pollution today because you have set up a plastic patrol um, and for anyone who isn't aware, like this has come from like quite a journey because you had a cancer diagnosis, didn't you, that set this whole ball a whole thing in motion yeah so I was diagnosed with cancer back in 2013 um, and Plastic Patrol really started as um, almost I wouldn't say an accident but it wasn't something I was necessarily conscious about before that diagnosis so I started paddle boarding really as a low impact way of just getting fitter and stronger again after my illness I'd finished radiotherapy and I'd gone to go and stay with my dad who lives on this tiny island called the Isles of Scilly at the end of Cornwall and I saw somebody paddleboarding out in the distance and I just thought oh I really think I could do that and um, like I'd be I'm strong enough and it would help me sort of get stronger and it was only when I came back to London where I live and I started seeing all of the plastic on the waterways when I was paddleboarding on the canals and rivers that I started thinking a lot more about that issue and it really was the start of where Plastic Patrol was born. I think that's lovely actually in a way it's just totally organic and you decided to do something your passion for like nature and being outdoors and this issue that you saw came to be Plastic Patrol so tell us a little bit about what Plastic Patrol actually is. So Plastic Patrol is um, I suppose in essence is a way of getting people to connect with 
nature and the outdoor world and connect themselves with the environment by going out and doing paddleboarding um, adventures. So we take people out paddleboarding and in return they litter pick and we call that their nature tax. And then we come back to base once we've sort of spent a couple of hours out on the water and we log and categorise everything that we find in the Plastic Patrol app. Um, and that then gives us a really good understanding of the types of plastics we're finding, where we're finding them and why we're finding them there. But ultimately the brands that we're also finding so that we're able to get a really clear picture of what the problem looks like and sort of start pushing the accountability and responsibility further and further up the chain. You hear it so often, like, oh, don't be a litterbug, and I think it's important, but we're not the ones making it. And this week, Surfers Against Sewage, they released their list of the top offenders on beaches. So when it comes to the waterways with Plastic Patrol, who are the main offenders that you're finding? Well, at the moment, we're in the middle of doing all of the analysis, and we haven't got the early um, early findings for it yet, so it will be towards the end of this year that we start releasing the information. Great, because you've got, like, is it a 100,000 pieces you've logged already? Yeah, so we've logged about 120,000 pieces now, but that's globally, that's all over the world, so we've had um, people uploading from about 44 countries, but... We're not specifically focusing on waterways, although that's where sort of the, the heritage of Plastic Patrol is and certainly where my passion stemmed from. Um, the idea is that you can, you can log plastic that you find anywhere, whether you're in parks, up mountains, on waterways, on beaches, it really doesn't matter. It gives us a really good global understanding and then we can start making comparisons, you know, what's happening in our waterways over here versus in America, what's happening on our coastlines versus in other countries and we can start pulling out some really interesting insight. Yeah, I think that's really important. Is it a million that you're aiming to get? We're aiming to get a million this year in the UK. So you're a tenth done by my maths. That's pretty we are, good. <laughs> but we've not got much longer. Um, but this summer we've got a lot of events happening, lots of cleanups happening. And what we're doing, um, which is really, it's new for Plastic Patrol and a really exciting sort of development, is so that we can encourage more people and get more people involved, is introducing more different wellbeing activities. So it's not just paddleboarding this year. We've got yoga, sup yoga, parkour, which is really interesting, quite different. Wow. Canoeing, kayaking, paddleboarding, running, all sorts of activities that people can get involved in. And then, obviously, as part of that, they litter pick and log everything that they find. Amazing. And uh, I've got the app on my phone, and it is literally, you go out, take a photo of everything you've collected, and it's such an easy-to-use app. And we are going to be getting out on the water a little bit later on. Some paddlers have just gone on the water. Oh, hi guys. That'll be us later. I haven't done paddleboarding since I was in the ocean, sorry, English Channel <laughs> in Brighton. And I'm, I'm backing myself because I didn't fall in then. You'll be fine warmer. here. <laughs> it's, um, it's calm. We're on the canal, so it's a lot calmer. Um, they're actually professional paddleboarders. So we've got the APP World Tour here this weekend. So um, and you're one of the you're their um, registered charity, aren't you? We're their Basically. charity partner for the yes. APP World Tour. Oh. So they've got, they're in London. London's the first leg of 2019. So that's the athletes now that have come in from all over the world that are just training and getting themselves set up and ready for the racing this weekend. I heard them chatting earlier, and they were all like, "Oh, I recognise you from social media." <laughs> <laughs> it's really sweet. Um, yeah, staying upright is definitely what I uh, what I want to be doing. We'll get some tips from them. Yeah. Now, your plastic patrols, you take part on uh, these on the waterways every weekend, don't you? So you're giving up every weekend over the summer. Yeah, more or less. I mean, last year it was great because it was just a heat wave for the whole summer. So we had really lovely weather every time we were out. But I don't really see it as giving up my time because I really do enjoy doing it and I get a lot from it. Um 
And a lot of people come down. I meet people that I've interacted with on social media or who have contacted me and sort of asked how they can get involved and support it. So it's actually really nice and really motivating when you're just surrounded by lots of other people that really care about something that you care about and want to help you do something about it. Yeah, do you get a really good reaction from people? Oh, amazing. It's just incredible. Like this weekend, um, we've got a lot of people coming down that have come to clean-ups in the past that just now whenever they're available on weekends that I'm doing them, will come down and join and just help out, muck in, just show people what they're doing, bring their own boards down, litter pick around us. It's it's almost like a sort of mini festival vibe that's been created now. It's such a great atmosphere. And um, like the last session I ran a couple of weeks ago, um, one of the girls that came out, um, when she finished, she just went and bought a load of pizzas and came back and everyone just ate pizza. And it was just oh. lovely. That's so nice. Do you find that people are often... I mean, it's lovely that that's that lovely, like, camaraderie. But do you find that people are like, I didn't realise it was this bad? Always. And that's one of the main reasons I do it. Because my own journey was very much centred around the fact that I'd paddleboarded as almost an escape. um, And certainly, without even realising it, it was a massive help for my sort of mental health as well after my illness. But it was only by being on the water and seeing firsthand what the problem looked like that I really started to connect with how bad and how serious it was. So for me to then be able to offer people the opportunity that I had and to see it in that same way, I think is so valuable because I know that I know how much that changed my life. So if I can have that impact on one other person, then we've made a difference. That's such a powerful message, it really is. I think it's amazing as well with your... uh with all the data that you want to collect, how are companies going to ignore that if you go? We've got a million pieces of plastic and 50% of them are from your companies. I think there's, there's two elements to that actually. The data collection is so important and I think there's lots of people going out litter picking now, which is brilliant, but it's about starting to understand that, that what we're collecting is effectively evidence and if we're not logging it and we're just throwing it away we're just losing the opportunity to understand and do something with that evidence and turn it into something really powerful. Um, So I would urge everybody when they are litter picking to download the app and think of it as though an individual contribution is actually just part of a much bigger picture and it really is. Um, And then I suppose the other side of it from the, the branding and the brands element we're not and we never have been about naming and shaming that's really just not the approach that I I don't think it's helpful really I think we need to work together I understand the needs at every level and what needs to be done to help tackle this problem there isn't a simple solution it is incredibly complex and it's different for every industry Um, but by building this evidence and, and having these conversations with brands we can help them find solutions but also we're creating a benchmark of the, the problem they've got. And a lot of brands now are moving to the circular economy and promising that their, their packaging will be 100% circular and they want to keep it out of nature. Whereas if we're, if we're able on the ground when we're in nature to be identifying when that hasn't happened and retrieving that and helping them put that back in the loop, actually that's really valuable to them. We're creating a, a benchmark of maybe you know year on year how they're improving, how that they're decisions to be circular and the changes they make in their business have stopped plastic entering the waterways because potentially we're finding less of it over the next few years i really commend that sometimes i think there's a lot of like big companies are the bad guy and 
they're big companies. Maybe they can't move as nimbly as small companies and small charities and environmental environmentalists can. Yeah, I think if you demonise those big companies, you're never going to get them on side. It takes them a lot longer to actually make the changes as well. And I definitely yeah. think there's a lot of excuses out there. Um, yeah. that I'm not saying that everyone is perfect at all. You hear greenwashing and things, phrases time, like that, don't All you? the time. But there are also brands that are really trying and they're doing things in, in a reasonable time frame. But because they're big businesses, it is a lot harder for them. And then you've got a lot of smaller startups now that are coming into this industry um, or an industry but they um, they almost have a head start because they're doing it from an environmental stance yeah. already. I've heard that a lot. Like, if you start from the ground up starting your company trying to be a B Corp, like quite a few companies that I've had on the podcast, it's so much easier than if you're trying to retrofit exactly. like, environmental and ethical processes to your massive, huge conglomerate company. So I do get it. I mean, one of the ones that we've had on the podcast recently, uh, your friends, uh, Arnaud Messer, I think I said that right. Um, from Ren Skincare, yeah. and you're one of their inspiring people, aren't you? Oh, they they are a brand that I think really are trying, and they're doing amazing things, and they are pushing and leading the way in the beauty and the skincare world. Um, and I have a lot of respect for what they're doing. So I think we need to see more of that, and we need brands like that to start pushing the industry forward. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think they're really inspiring, and to hear Arno. Um, talk about you and talk about what they're doing and just say that other companies could be doing the same as them it's uh yeah I think that's definitely the future of companies fingers crossed um now you have to tell me about paddling the Hudson River please (laughs) you've done so many firsts and that was one of them yeah so that was back in September 2018 it feels like a lifetime ago now. does it yeah it does the Hudson was incredible but really, really challenging. It was, um, it was. How do I describe it? It was a bit of a beast, I would say. Really, it's a beast of a river. It really, really is. I think you hear the word river, and mm. you assume that it will be, you know, a nice, gentle paddle. Mm. But the Hudson is well known for its strong currents, and um, just really unpredictable. Like yeah. weather conditions as well around there. So and I suppose, as you say that, I've just remembered they managed to crash land a plane in it once. Yeah, so it's, it's a big place, isn't it? It is huge. I think it, the widest point spans three point five miles. So oh you feel God. like you could be can in an ocean. Can you see it from the other side? You can, but you don't feel that it's particularly close. <laughs> like no. it's far. It's like the channel. <laughs> um, do you know? In a way, it was it was as hard as paddling the channel. Really. Um, the conditions on the water, just you know, it's bad timing on my on my part. There was the um, Hurricane Florence was making its way to the east coast, and Storm Gordon was making its way out. So I just had this really crazy mix of unpredictable weather systems closing in on me all the time. And even on my first day, I remember starting out, and it was blazing sunshine, really hot, and I thought wrongly that my biggest issue that day would be uh, dehydration just because of the heat and I had to just keep myself sort of hydrated on the water two hours in just a thunderstorm broke out really unexpectedly there was one actually forecast for about five hours later which I would I planned to be off the water well before then and because I was so far upstream at that point there really wasn't any places I could actually get off so there's me on the water carbon paddle in my hand 
just really thick, dense undergrowth on both sides of the banks, not able to get off, um, just desperately trying to find a place so I wasn't on the water in the middle of this kind of thunder and lightning. It sounds like the start of a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like it too. Well, congratulations <laughs> for doing it. You've also been uh, the first woman to paddle all the waterways in Britain, which was what your book was about, Paddle Britain. Yeah, Paddling Britain. So I wrote that book um, last year. Well, I finished writing it last year because obviously I've paddleboarded along our waterways quite a lot in the last few years and when I've been training for my challenges I've always tried to head to different places really just to inspire me a bit more as well when I'm training and sort of packing in the miles. It must get a bit boring doing the same thing all the time so why not go and paddle somewhere else? Yeah exactly on the same route all the time and you just kind of get used to it and also you want to experience different water and sort of different challenges that you might confront and to replicate the conditions that you might potentially face. But um, I, was, I had a lot of people just asking me about like, recommendations of where I paddle, where I love, especially around Britain. So I thought I would write a book and share it all and just kind of put some of my, um, my, best, my best love spots in there, but also more practical information, like where you can launch from and you know, where you might find the nearest car park, because they're all the things logistically that you really need to know as a paddler that it's not always easy to find out. Yeah, I think if I'd written it, I'd be like local pubs, which probably is not quite There the is vibe. a few of those in okay, there. Cool. <laughs> um, I am going to grab a copy of that book later and hopefully we'll give, give one away on the podcast as well. Um, so you've done a lot of firsts. So what do you think is going to be your next first, Lizzie? You know, at the moment, I've, I've, I suppose I've always thought of those challenges as a, a way, a vehicle to be able to talk about the environmental issues that I want to talk about. And now, especially in the UK, I feel that that conversation has increased so much even over the last year I mean I'm sure you've experienced that too oh my gosh yeah it's it's gone bonkers so that objective is is for me really fulfilled now I don't feel like I need to do another big challenge to start trying to get people talking about plastic and the environment because we're there so I think the focus for me really is about the, the data and actually now that we've got people using the app in the UK all over the world now we've got access to really really important information what can I do with that? How can we turn that into something that will drive the change at the level that we need to see? Yeah. I was going to say, you must obviously, picking water bottles and everything out of the waterways on a regular basis, see so much single-use plastic. When you do a plastic patrol with people and they're like, oh, God, I didn't think it was this bad, what are the tips that you say to them to try and avoid it when they get home? Um, I think you can see on the water... When you're paddling, I mean, even now, you yeah, can the see pros in front are going past. Us. The pros are going past, and behind them, you can see a bag yep, behind blue them, plastic bag, and a bottle in front of that there, and yep. another bottle over there. You see the same things time and time again: bags, bottles, and wrappers. So immediately, you can tell people, or they know, they're the things to avoid. The kind of obvious single-use plastic items, but you almost don't need to tell them because people people come and do this, and I think they're so horrified by what they see most of the time because it's not just the rubbish floating about. It's the bird's nest that you find that are full of wrappers and straws and they've made their homes out of our rubbish and it's so upsetting, it's awful. I think by just exposing people to that, that sort of really close level and everything that they're seeing is magnified, I think they want to stop doing that. That behaviour change is a natural progression because... 
they understand it so much more. Yeah, totally. And when it comes to the plastic that you collect, what exactly do you do with that plastic patrol? Oh, I would really love to make paddle boards out of them. Um, oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Paddleboard companies, hello. Yeah, anyone, hello. Um, <laughs> I, that would be the dream, is to be able to make recycled plastic paddle boards from the plastic that we're collecting on the waterways. I mean, and there's sure, a circular economy, Exactly. Surely. I'm sure that, I mean, I don't think it would be cheap to do, but that technology must exist now. Um, and I've been researching it quite a lot. You can make hard boards, um, and I think that was done over in America, a surfboard, not a paddleboard. Mm -hmm. um, so the technology do is there, um, but it's, it, the inf to make it inflatable is a lot harder. Mm -hmm. um, at the moment, we separate it out and we put the, the recycling into the recycling, and the rest just, I think, goes into landfill. It depends who we're working with, the Canal River Trust take. Yes, because up lot and down the, the country and different waterways, and obviously we've got different recycling rules up and down the country. Exactly. It's a bit of a pain, isn't it, when you've got different recycling like rules up and down the country wherever you're doing plastic patrols so i've been asking lots of guests because i think it's kind of a word which maybe gets greenwashed when it comes to companies and maybe people don't have quite a handle on exactly what sustainable is but what does the word sustainable or sustainability mean to you i think sustainability for me means something that isn't looked at in a one-dimensional way so you can't for example just think about packaging and call it sustainable and you or you can't just think about the ingredients in a product and call it sustainable you have to be thinking about that entire life cycle of a particular product mm. and every interaction that it has environmentally and if that is all positive then it's a sustainable product yeah. rather than sort of just using that word quite loosely when it it, it should mean something quite specific yeah i totally get that actually as, as you're saying that i'm like yeah i guess if you think about oh i've bought this steak in this biodegradable packaging if that steak has not been sustainably farmed you're eating steak every single day and you're or you're going to chuck that you're not going to put that biodegradable wrapper in into a composting bin then what's the point so exactly. it's kind of it's joined up thinking it's like everything like we were talking earlier about how um like plastic pollution is just kind of one element of climate change but it's definitely a way to get people in and get people talking about their whole behavior and consumerism and the way they travel and where their energy is coming from and all that kind of stuff yeah i agree with that it's a very good presenting issue mm. it's like the trojan horse of climate change because it's so visible and so tangible that people can really understand it. Mm. When you start recycling more and you're looking at your bin, you're like, oh my gosh, there's like nothing in it now. And it's, uh, someone at work was literally saying that to me the other day. So yeah, no, I think that's a really good example. And it's funny, like everyone's kind of saying slightly different things along the same line when we talk about sustainability. Um, I wanted to know what you would love to see change about our plastic consumption and also like companies producing it i would like to see our infrastructure recycling infrastructure change in this country i'd like to see a world where everything that we create can be fully recyclable and if it can't then it shouldn't be created so that waste doesn't really exist anymore that would be the dream right? and that means just some really considered thinking and it's not something that we can do overnight, but I do think it's possible. I think it's Sam Samsung now that are creating their electronics in a way so that when they're returned, they can then use the components to make more products 
So thinking like that, but for everything that we're doing. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I've been saying, like, I wish nothing was created now unless the creators had thought about the end of the life. As you may see, I've got my questions on my iPhone. That is smashed. I'm desperately trying to replace it. It's been like this for a little <laughs> while. I've been looking at Fairphone. It's interesting that I'm going to have to do some research about Samsung because obviously I'm going to recycle this, but... I want to buy something that I'm not going to have to replace in two years that's going to end up in, possibly end up in landfill because all the components are glued in. And it's really good that you're thinking about stuff like that because that's taking it a little bit further than sort of the norm. So most people are thinking, okay, what can I do in the home? Like the really obvious things, the bags, the bottles, the straws, the wrappers, that kind of stuff. But then you start thinking about things like your phone or more broadly, who you're banking with yes. or who your energy providers are. And then mm-hmm. you can start really making changes that are much more, I suppose, pa- like passive yes. in the sense that you're not, they're not immediately obvious to you. But they um, make a difference. But they do make a difference, up. yeah. All the pro um, paddleboarders going past us now. It's so nice. Um, you've teamed up with quite a lot of companies like North Face and Nissan uh, with the Nissan Leaf electric car. Do you ever get people approaching you to work with you and you're just like, um, I know you said you don't name and shame, but do you feel like, no, your ethics and what you're asking me to do here just doesn't fit, doesn't sit with me? Yeah, all the time. Wow, really? Yeah, I think it's really important to be able to look at brands that are approaching you. And I always ask to see sort of a roadmap of their sustainability plans and what that looks like. And they're very open and transparent about giving that to you. But you can clearly see the brands that are like I said earlier, genuinely trying, that you want to support. They might not be perfect, but they're on a journey and I believe in that journey and it's a legitimate journey. And then you see the ones that are greenwashing the issue or just doing what they need to do to get the publicity that they need to get the sales that they want. I think you have to be really careful. And as a campaigner, I think integrity is such an important part of what I do and... I really have to believe in who I'm working with and what they're doing. Otherwise, what's the point? Hit the nail on the head, totally. So I saw you recently as well at Pebble Festival. I didn't manage to grab you then. I was like, oh, I got this, Lizzie. Um, And you were talking about everyday activism and how to have an impact. So what would you say is like your one positive tip for people if they are trying to go about their day and have a bit of an impact when it comes to everyday activism? I think... Of course, I'm going to say they should be using the Plastic Patrol app. Download it for free (laughs) in uh, the App Store or whatever the Android one is. (laughs) Brilliant. Um, That's a nice, easy answer, isn't it? Yeah, but I do. I think it's such an easy way to actually contribute meaningfully to the problem. Um, And the fact that you can use it wherever you are, anywhere in the world, it's a device that you probably have out of your hands for less than five minutes a day. So there's just no excuse not to do something about it. So true, so true. I spend way too much time on my phone. Um, So to finish up, we always like to ask our guests, because we're lovers, not haters, favourite plastic product? Do you know, I have an electric toothbrush. I do too. And I'm wondering, when are they going to start making these out of bamboo or something that's compostable? Because I've used compostable ones. I've used, oh no, I've used a bamboo one. Oh yeah, not electric though. Not electric. Um, And I I went to the dentist and it was making my teeth really not yeah you've got lovely teeth thank you and i really worry about my teeth so it's one of those things where i think my electric toothbrush might need updating and i'm like oh that just isn't an ethical option yet but it's the lesson of my teeth 
it's the lesser of the evils because it's not a completely disposable toothbrush. True, exactly. I've been reusing the heads to clean things since uh, <laughs> Alison Ogden Newson said on the podcast that's what she <laughs> keeps her ones for. So there you go, top tip. I do too. Do you? Oh, God. <laughs> Thank God it's not just me cleaning around the taps in the bathroom with it. Um, and to finish up on on the Age of Plastic podcast, Lizzie Carr, your environmental hero, please. Can I have multiple heroes? Quite a few people have, which I think is so encouraging that they can't even narrow it down to one, so of course you can. I would like to call everyone that's come on Plastic Patrol my heroes. Wow, how many people is that now? Like 50,000? A few thousand. (laughs) Quite a few thousand. But they are all my heroes, just the everyday people that are making the small changes that are making a difference. And I think we should be celebrating that a lot more. That's amazing. And I love that because I'm about to go and do a plastic patrol with you. So I'm in that group. Yeah. <laughs> Lizzie Carr, thank you so much for chatting to me on the Age of Plastic podcast. Thank you for having me. Let's go and get that plastic bag and that water bottle. Or just join the pros. <laughs> <laughs> I had such a lovely time with Lizzie. Mainly because she's great, but also because I didn't get wet. <laughs> I love that she is just doing everything that she can she's doing her best that's all we can do right and I love that that's kind of her ethos as well she doesn't want to name and shame she wants to get companies on board she's just got such like high hopes and she's so ambitious and some of the things she's done I mean honestly I probably would have died trying to paddleboard the Hudson River I love 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 her comments as well about plastic pollution being the Trojan horse of climate change in this whole podcast is called The Age of Plastic, but we don't always talk about plastic every single week. Once you start looking at one thing, how much plastic am I consuming, you do start to look at everything else. So if you have been inspired by Lizzie and you haven't already got the Plastic Patrol app, I have got one of her books to give away, Paddling Britain, 50 Best Places to Explore by SUP. That's stand-up board if you didn't already know. I've got one of those to give away. All you need to do is grab your smartphone, head to the app store, download Plastic Patrol. Once you have, take a little screen grab and you can send it to me. Head to Instagram and message it to me via Age of Plastic Podcast. And if you don't have Instagram, don't worry. I've actually gone and set up a Facebook page for this podcast. I know, I know, it's my least favourite of the social medias. It's like picking a favourite worst child. I'll link to that in the show notes if you don't have Instagram but would love to get your hands on this book. Obviously, of course, once you've got the app, guys use it (laughs) a million pieces we could do it together if you are successful i'll be announcing the winner on the next podcast lizzie's putting on loads of events across the summer as well make sure you check out her website it's lizzieoutside.co.uk now an environmental hack for that thing i've just been talking about that i said at the start of the podcast is probably in your hand or your pocket right now the mobile phone because i'm a complete professional you'll have heard in that interview that uh, i was reading my questions to lizzie off of a smashed iphone <laughs> i have now replaced it i did so much research i think i gave myself a migraine i will link to some of the sites that i found because there are loads of great people giving not only the device an ethical rating but also the company, so you can look at how they treat their workers. One of the things that is quite um, amazing is something called a Fairphone. Now, the trouble with recycling mobile phones is apparently a lot of the components are glued in, so it's really hard, so we don't bother, we just chuck it away and get a new one. Fairphone has been made to swap out components when they break. 
I'm not so great with a screwdriver. I have to say I did I did buckle and I did get an iPhone. But another thing you could consider when your phone next finds itself falling towards the floor is heading online to eBay. I got a pretty much brand new shiny phone for not very much cash. I can tell you now it'll be my very last Apple phone. But a bit like buying secondhand clothes, you're giving something else a new lease of life. And whatever you do, do not chuck your old phone in a drawer to just sit there and rot. Loads of companies will actually do an exchange now. Or you can do what I do, which is just get Envirophone to send you an envelope and then send your old one to them. And they'll give you some cash for it as well. Conscience is clear. Right, guys, well, I am just a girl sitting in a booth talking to herself. So I want this conversation to carry on online. So come and join me. Let me know your thoughts. I've mentioned the Instagram and the Facebook page now. You can also find me on Twitter, Andrea underscore Fox, or email me through my website. I am andreafox.co.uk. I would love to see you in real life or I would love to just make some connections in the real world, even if they have to happen over social media. So get in touch and let me know your thoughts. I love, love, love doing this podcast. I would love to know your thoughts on it. And especially if you've got any events or any people that you think would be brilliant guests, just get in touch. I am literally not that scary or that busy. And we'll see you next time on the Age of Plastic podcast. I am off to improve my paddleboarding skills and pick up some more floating bottle caps. Oh, who am I kidding? I'm off to watch Love Island first. Oh, hi. You've listened right to the end. Thanks ever so much. I'd absolutely love it if you could head to wherever you listen to this podcast and leave us a little like, comment or review. I mean, especially Apple Podcasts. Thanks.